0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I'm going to tell you right now, we're only going to get as far as verse 1 tonight. So (laughs) 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, Silvanus, which is Silas, by the way, some of you have heard of Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now. We're going to break this verse down into three sections tonight. Now, before I break the verse down, though, into three sections, I want to do a little quick background. And for those of you who have ever been a part of the Bible studies that I've done, when we start a book... I'm not one of these ones that's going to spend a long, long, long time doing biographical and background information and all that. We could get into a whole lot of details. I'm not going to do that, but I do want to take some time to give you a little bit of biographical information and background information that will help us understand a little bit more what's being written here. Why Paul wrote this book to these people. What had, how did he meet them? Where did all that come about? What had happened in the time between when he met them and when he was writing them and all these things. That will help us interpret the scriptures better. You need to know the context of what's going on when you study the Word of God. And so what I want to do is I want to just start off with who the author is. Anybody want to take a wild guess who the author of this book is? It's Paul. But it's interesting. It's Paul and Silas and Timothy are all writing together. Yet, there are going to be many times in this book that it's going to be obvious that Paul's the one that's actually doing the writing. But he's not taking full credit, if you will. Go to chapter 1. You see verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. But go to chapter 2, verse 18. And chapter 2, verse 18 It says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So again, here Paul clarifies that he's the one doing the writing. So if you said it's Paul, you're right. But he also is giving credit to Silas and Timothy, because as you're going to see in our background study here tonight, before we start breaking down verse one, he had used Silas and Timothy very, very instrumentally in the life of this church. And so it was valuable for them to know that this wasn't just coming from Paul. It was also coming from these two guys that they had had a lot of interaction with. Now, what I want to do, though, is tell you that he wrote this letter in around A.D. 51 from the city of Corinth. Paul's writing from Corinth at this time to the church in Thessalonica. And as we're going to see, he has just gotten word back from Timothy about this church. We're going to get into why he was concerned and what things he was wanting to hear about. But what I want to do is back you up. Go with me to Acts chapter 15 and we're going to take a look at how this whole interaction with the church in Thessalonica began. In Acts chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 36. Acts 15, 36 says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, this is who he went on his first missionary journey with, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Paul and Barnabas, who had gone on the first missionary journey, and if you knew the story back in Acts 13, that's when God had set apart Paul and Barnabas to this work. And the, the elders laid hands on him and they sent him off. They went on their missionary journeys. In this instance, though, they say, hey, Paul says, let's go and visit some of those churches again. Let's go on another missionary journey. Well, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him. By the way, the same guy that wrote the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. But at that time, when he went with him on the first missionary journey, he got a little scared because the ministry was hard and they're going through some hard trials. And he left. He was kind of intimidated. Paul said, I don't want to bring this guy. Barnabas says, let's give him another chance. They got into such a sharp disagreement, they actually parted company. Now, by the end of Paul's life, he actually changed his attitude toward Mark, and he actually asked for Mark, and he said he's helpful, and, and Mark ended up being a very strong believer in the Lord. But he had a little wishy-washy period that this is why Paul and Barnabas parted ways. So Paul takes with him who when he goes off. He takes Silas with him. Now go to chapter 16. Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So Paul, when he starts his second missionary journey, takes with him Silas. As he's on this second missionary journey, strengthening the churches, he ends up in this area of Derby, and he meets this young man, Timothy, who's a believer, and he takes him with him as well on the missionary journey, this second missionary journey. Now, you get to chapter 6. I'm not going to read all these verses, but I'm going to kind of lay this out for us. When you get to chapter 6, Verse 6 in chapter 16, chapter 16 of Acts, verse 6, They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man in Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So how did Paul end up in Macedonia? By the way, that's where Thessalonica well, is. It's in Macedonia, which, by the way, if you don't know where that is now, it's Greece. Okay, the there they're going to end up in. But how did they end up in Macedonia? Well, Paul tried to go into Asia, but the Spirit wouldn't let him. Tried to go into Mysia, but the Spirit said no. He then had a vision of a man of Macedonia, saying, come and preach the gospel here. And that's when they concluded that's where God wants us to go. I'm not going to read the next section, though, for this reason. You know the story hopefully pretty well, but I'll paraphrase it for you. They go into Macedonia. And when they go into Macedonia, they just go looking for a place of prayer. People that are seeking the Lord. Remember when Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, he told them, when you go into a town, let your peace go out. If it's received, stay. If not, move on. In other words, God's the one doing his work in the harvest field. We're to just go out into his harvest field every day and just take a look for where God's at work. And if God is at work, you stay there and do whatever he has you to do. Either plant some more seed, water it, whatever, or even be a part of a harvest. But we have to keep in mind that God's not waiting for us to go get the job done. He's not served by human hands if he needed anything. He's doing his work. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He doesn't need us to build his church. He's going to do it. Now we get to be a part of it, though, if we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I'd like you to use me. Where are you at work? Help me to recognize where you're at work. And so Paul, looking for a place of prayer, looking for where people are seeking the Lord, finds this place of prayer and a bunch of ladies are down there mostly. And the first convert in Europe was a woman named Lydia. And she said, hey, if you consider me a real believer, can the church start in my house? Now, the Bible actually tells us she was a seller of purple, which means that she had influence and money. Because purple was a very, very, very expensive color and, and a thing to have at that time. And she was from the city of Thyatira, which I think is awesome. It's another study for another time, but that's in Asia. Remember how Paul tried to go into Asia? But the spirit wouldn't let him. But he sent him to Macedonia and he leads to faith. God, through him, leads this woman to faith who had influence in Asia. Folks, stop thinking you've got to come up with a strategy to reach your neighborhood. God's already at work. You just have to say, Lord, I'd like you to use me if you can. He might say, you know what, I, I, I'm going to reach your neighborhood, but I don't want to use you. I'm going to use somebody else. I'd like to send you down the street. You don't know. You know how God's word said, blessed are those who have left houses and lands and family for, their name, for God's namesake. Yet the demoniac from the Decapolis who wanted to get in the boat and go on mission with Jesus and leave home and go preach the gospel, he tells the demoniac, I want you to go home. You don't get in the mission trip. You stay here. So let God pick where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do. But have an attitude like Paul that says, Lord, where are you at work? I want to be used by you in your plan for my life. So they do that the church begins to grow. One day as they're heading to another gathering of the church, there were these girls that had demons in them, and they were predicting the future, and the people that owned these girls and used them as slaves were making a lot of money from them. And they kept saying, these are men of the Most High God, and they're telling you the way to be saved. And the Bible says after a few days, Paul had had enough. And he turned to the girls, and he told the demons to come out. Well, when the people who owned the girls realized that they weren't going to make any money out of them now because the demons were gone... By the way, do you know demons do know the future? They don't know it perfectly because only God knows it perfectly. But you know how the demons came to Jesus and said, Have you come to send us to the abyss before the appointed time? They know what God has said. They know what's going to happen. So these guys were so mad that they had lost their ability to make money. They grabbed Paul and Silas. Timothy's with them, but we don't have Timothy being recorded as being grabbed. They grabbed him, They threw him in the inner cell, and they beat him. Illegally, because they were Roman citizens, and they didn't even get a trial. As you know in the story, God that night releases the chains off them, the doors fly open, and not a prisoner leaves. The jailer wants to kill himself because he thinks he's lost all the prisoners and he's going to be put to death. And of course, they all say, "Where well, everybody's here, and the jailer and his family gets saved. But go with me to Acts chapter 16. Look at verse 35. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them, and they departed. Chapter 17. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to where? Thessalonica. This is the group of people now that they're going to meet who is going to be the recipients of the letter that we're going to be studying, the letters that we're going to be studying, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find him, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now, the brothers, this is the, the, the church there in Thessalonica, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, before we go any further, if you notice they're just listing Paul and Silas? They're not listing Timothy. Now, as you're going to see from internal evidence that I'm going to show you in a little bit, Timothy's been with them all along. Now, we're speculating as to why Timothy's not mentioned, but most likely it's because Timothy's young, And he's still learning, and he's not one of the leading men of the group, if you will. Paul and Silas were. all right. Silas, by the way, is one that helped uh, Peter do a lot of his ministry and a lot of writing. When Peter would would write his books, it was Silas that was actually the one writing down what Peter wrote. Silas was a a prominent leader in the church. And so chances are, don't think Timothy's not here. He is. You're going to see a little later on. He's a part of what's going on all here. Whether he was in the jail, I don't know, but... We know that he's still a part of this group. But in Thessalonica, after a period of time, they get chased out again. So they head on to the next place, to Berea. Verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also there, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. So you see, Silas and Timothy are with him still. And those who had conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So now, so Paul and Timothy and Silas have been traveling on, on this journey. They go to Philippi. They go to Thessalonica. They get beat up and chased out of Philippi. They preach the gospel in Thessalonica. They're not there very long and they're chased out of there as well. They go to Berea and then when they get to Berea, the people are responding more than they were in Thessalonica. But Thessalon- Thessalonican Jews come and say, you know, hey, this guy caused problems in our town. They chased him out of there. And so Paul now heads on to Athens And he wants Paul and Silas, I'm sorry, Timothy and Silas to join him in Athens later on. Are you with me so far? Now, don't answer the question, but have it in your mind. Does Paul know if the church in Thessalonica made it with what we can just read here? We don't know. We know this much that those in Berea responded better to the preaching and they were checking everything against the scriptures. Where it appears that there was a response there in Thessalonica. Yet at the same time, the bad guys came in and caused so much trouble from within and from without that they had to leave. And that's what you're going to see is the reason for the book of First Thessalonians is because Paul is writing because he doesn't know at the time before he wrote. He didn't know how things really went there with them. And as you're going to see from internal evidence, Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. To go check on them later on. Most likely he sent Silas to Philippi to check on them. And Paul goes from Athens to Corinth. Go to chapter 18. And look at verse 1. Now after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, when Silas and Timothy arrived from where? Macedonia. Macedonia Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So, I, from internal evidence now, and I'm going to show you a little bit more of the interval evidence, putting Acts together and 1 Thessalonians together. We see that Paul and Silas headed off on their first, the second missionary journey, but their first one together as a team. On the way, they meet Timothy as a young man. They have him circumcised because his dad was a Greek and he hadn't been circumcised even though he's a believer. This wasn't a circumcision to make him saved. He was already saved through his faith. But he had him circumcised in case the Jews would have any problem in the places they went to preach. And then they go into Philippi. They go through all that suffering there. They go to Thessalonica. There's more suffering there. They go to Berea. And then they're chased from Berea to Athens. And Paul wants them to join him in Athens, which they do. And then it appears, and I'm going to show you why it does. It appears from the internal evidence in Acts and 1 Thessalonians that while Paul was in Athens, he sent them back into Macedonia to go check on those churches. Go to 1 Thessalonians Chapter three. Paul says in chapter three, therefore, when we could bear it no longer. Actually, I'm going to back up back you up to chapter two, verse 17, give you a little bit more information. All right. And chapter two, chapter two of First Thessalonians, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith. All right. So while they're in Athens... Paul goes from Athens to where? Make sure you're tracking with me here. Corinth. Paul's writing this letter from Corinth. But in that time period, he had sent Timothy back to Thessalonica, most likely Silas to Philippi. And that's why in Acts chapter 18, it said that verse five, that when Timothy and Silas came back from Macedonia, they met him in Corinth and they gave their reports of what was going on in those churches. By this point now, Timothy has proven himself to be quite a young man because Paul is sending Timothy by himself back to Thessalonica to go check on them and to strengthen them. Look at verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, And has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. And then he goes on. We'll get into what he says next later on. So he says here, by this point, Timothy had gone to Thessalonica, checked on them, came back and given a report. And Paul is now writing to the church in Thessalonica, thanking God that their salvation was real. Because at the time they left, they weren't real sure. By the way, let me say something to you. I've baptized a lot of people. Does that mean everybody I've baptized, I'm sure they're in heaven? No. I've shared the gospel with a lot of people, and I've been had the privilege of being when they pray and receive Jesus as their Savior. Only time will tell if it's real. Only time will tell if it's real. We're to be faithful to do the work that he's called us to, but if we're all honest, even when we raise our children, we pray hard, don't we? We pray hard and that's how Paul's attitude, you're going to see this later on in our study as we get further on. He's going to talk about the fact that he was with them as a mother. He was there sometimes as a father and he had a heart for the church. He really cared about them. And so Paul in AD 51 is writing from Corinth back to the church in Thessalonica to check on them and encourage them. But also to say, I got a report from Timothy and from what I've learned, here's some things he's told me. And here's some things I think God wants me to tell you. All right. Now, with all that said, let's begin our study. All right. There's a lot more I could have showed you, but that's enough to get us going to have an idea of where this book has come from. All right. But look at First Thessalonians, chapter one. I'm going to break verse one into three parts. It says, Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, the first part we've already dealt with. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. That's the first part. We've already dealt with that. Paul's the one who's writing the letter, but it's also from Silvanus and Timothy because they were involved in their church getting started and checking in on them and and all that. So guess what? You're already done with the first part of verse 1. If you want more, there's lots more out there you can dig into, but that's enough. But look at how he describes the church. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to spend a little time here, because I honestly believe that this is something that a lot of Christians don't fully grasp, and I'll be honest with you, I don't either. I'm not sure we as humans will ever be able to fully grasp what we're going to get into in this next section here of verse 1, but I believe that there's more here than we, that we can grasp. That the Spirit of God can help us. And I think if we as Christians really allowed the Spirit of God to let this biblical truth that we're going to dive into here, let it sink in, it will affect how we live our lives. There'll be less fear. There'll be less worry. There'll be a lot more boldness. There'll be a lot more peace. There'll be a lot more joy. If we really understood who we are in Christ Jesus, he said to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that when he says that, immediately my brain went back to something Jesus said in John 14. Go to John chapter 14 and we'll start in verse 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples in the last hours before his death. And he's pouring a lot into them at this point. He's just had the Passover meal, what we call the Last Supper. Judas has gone off to betray him. He's now pouring intently into the lives of his disciples, who are the real ones, and he's talking to them about the Holy Spirit. and he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit's going to come into them. He's going to talk about the abiding relationship. He's going to talk about the fact that He's come to give us peace. He's going to all these things. But look at chapter 14, verse 15. He says this. He says, if I went to John instead of Romans, that would make I looked at that. though, that's not right. Romans, sorry, John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you, how long? Forever. And if you're curious who I'm talking about, Jesus said, it's the spirit of truth, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I love this. I will not leave you as orphans. Now, before we go any further, we got to let that sink in. Doesn't the Bible tell us in John chapter 1 that those of us who believe in Jesus become children of God, born again, not of the man's will or of the flesh, but of the spirit. We are put into life by God. We are born again and he gives birth to us. Well, what's an orphan? That's someone that's been given birth to and then the parent leaves them. He says, I'm not going to give birth to you and leave you. Now, there's times we wonder if he's there. But he's promised to not leave us as orphans. He's promised to be with us for how long again? Forever. Forever. And he says, I'm going to come to you. Well, look at what he says. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you in yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. I love verse 20. In that day... That the Holy Spirit comes into you. You will know that I'm in my Father and you're in me and I'm in you. Now, I've used this illustration before and some of you have seen it. Maybe some of you haven't. But one day I decided to really take the time to break this verse down into a way that would really sink in. So I took an old offering envelope. Remember the old offering envelopes? And instead of. What was written on the front, I took a piece of paper and I put my name, Jim Johnson. Jesus said, on that day, you're going to realize that I'm in you. And so I wrote Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. And I put it in a, on a three by five card and I put it inside that envelope. Jesus is in me. But then he says, not only am I, I going to be in you, you're going to be in me. And I took a bigger envelope. And I put the Holy Spirit, which is inside of me, and me inside the bigger envelope, which says Jesus. And then Jesus says, oh, and I'm not done. I'm going to be in the Father. Where am I? I am swimming in God, am I not? I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't let anybody teach you that it's something that happens, you know, later on and you can get a baptism. No, no, no. When you receive Jesus as your Savior and he seals you with his spirit, he comes in you. You go in Jesus. Jesus in the Father. Our baptism is a picture of what happens at our salvation. But I tell people jokingly, you want your baptism to be a real picture of your salvation? Don't close your, not, your, your mouth and plug your nose. <laughs> You, he's in you, you're in Him, and He's in the Father. Folks, we are swimming in God. That's why Satan can't do anything to us without the Father's permission. What does he got to do to get to us? He's got to go through the Father. We are in Him. Yeah, but Jim, I don't feel that. Well, that's a different story. The biblical truth is, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, And it's not just the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus himself, and we're in him, and he's in the Father. Folks, when we become born again, we become new creations. The old is past, the new has come. He's left us in these human bodies, though, that are still under the curse, so that we would learn how to walk in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of, as Paul says in Romans 7, the written code or trying to do it in the flesh. And so Paul writes to the church here in Corinth, sorry, in Corinth, from Corinth, and he writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he says to the church of the Thessalonians, of the church in Thessalonica, who are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to John chapter 17. I'm not going to just use one section of passage to illustrate this truth. Let's let the Bible talk to us about how we're swimming in God. Look at what Jesus says in John 17, verses 20 through 26. Jesus has been praying for his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And in verse 20, he says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Anybody have an idea who that is? That's us. So Jesus prayed for us that that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we're one. I in them and you in me, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved, me, loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire also that whom you've given me, they whom you've given me will be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Listen closely. We've had a lot of people teach us from this passage that Jesus prayed that we would all be one. Look closely at the context. That's not what he's praying. Yes, the Bible teaches that he desires for us all, his brothers and sisters, to be one. And the Bible will be uh, will be known that we're his disciples by our love for one another. But look again at what Jesus is praying. He says, Father, I pray for those that believe in me, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be where? In us. That's the context. And in the end, context, he ends back in the, verse 26. He says, and I in them. The context is Jesus is praying, Father, I want them to be saved. The ones that hear the message from these guys, I want them to be saved and I want them to have the fullness of the unity that we have. I in them and you and me and I in you. That's what I'm praying for, he says. And he says it again. Look at verse 23, 22. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. And again, he says, I in them and you in me. Folks, Jesus prayed that we would really come to the fullness of what it means to be saved. Not just that we would have our name written in the book of life, and thank God I'm going to heaven, but that actually we would come to understand who we are in Christ. Folks, as the world gets crazier, we should be the ones that everybody's running to, to say, you seem relaxed. Why why are you relaxed? And we should be able to tell them, because the one who's in control of all of this is in full control, and he's promised to walk us through it, those that know him. I know I'm going to be all right. But what about this? And what if that happens? He'll take care of that if it does. But right now, unfortunately, because most of us who are saved, who are in Christ and He's in us and we're in the Father, we run around acting like the rest of the world, freaking out about all this stuff, worrying about the government, worrying about the world, worrying about climate change and worrying about all this stuff. When the Bible says for those of us who are in Christ, we should be walking with the confidence of the fact that I'm in the Father and He's in me and I'm in Jesus and... What am I to worry about? But that truth hasn't sunk in. Oh, and by the way, you might sit here tonight and go, you know what? I got it. But tomorrow morning you're going to have to re-get it. (laughs) Because that's why we have to daily renew our minds. That's why daily we have to allow the spirit of God and the truth of the word of God to refresh our minds as to who we are. Now, go to Ephesians chapter 1. This is kind of what Paul's praying for now. We'll start in verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 13 and 14, and then we're going to jump to verses 22 and 23. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, it says In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, look at verse 22. And he, God, put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we not only are born again, And not going to be left as orphans. We're not only put into Christ and he's in us and we're in the Father as well. He's also been given to us as the head of the church. And we have now become the what of Christ? The body of Christ. The fullness of him. Who fills everything? He's in control and should be the one controlling us individually and corporately as a body. He's the one that should be the center of all things. We have a tendency to try to follow certain preachers. We have a tendency to be more interested in church work and politics than we are following Jesus. Any preacher that tells you to follow him and not follow Jesus, stay away from. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 through 16, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry so that we would no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. And we would all grow up into him who is the head. Now look at the verses I skipped between chapter 1 of Ephesians. Verses We ended in verse 14 and jumped to verse 22. Paul says, you've been sealed by God through his spirit, which is your deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, "...that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, what, what a gift we have in the body, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe." And then he goes on and says the same power that he used in raising Jesus from the dead. Don't miss what Paul said. He said, you're saved. You believed, you were sealed with the Spirit, you're guaranteed you're going to heaven. Here's my prayer that you would be able to start stepping into all that you have been given at that time. Now, are we going to fully understand it? No. But are we even taking advantage of any of it? And that's what Paul is going to be doing now in this letter of 1 Thessalonians to the Thessalonians. He was concerned whether or not they even were real in their salvation. He's gotten word back from Timothy that they were. He's going to praise him for that. And as you're going to see, he's going to be talking to them a lot about what it means to grow in Christ and grow in our love for each other and getting them ready for the return of Jesus Christ. You're going to see a lot of eschatology teaching in First and Second Thessalonians. And that's one of the reasons why I really believe that God led me to make this the next book that we study. Because I believe that as Christians, in these days that are left, before He comes and gathers us, it's important that we respond to the prayer of Jesus in John 17, and Paul in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, that we would actually start growing into what has already been ours the moment we got saved, and that we would start to experience the power of God to the point that others may come to Christ through us because of the peace and the joy that we have, because we're walking in the fullness of who we are in Christ, and that He would get us ready for His return. So I can't wait to get into all that. If you go to chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul prayed one more prayer. Chapter 3 verse 14, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit, which is in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's there, but we want want him to be sitting on the throne, ruling. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That same phrase we saw at the end of chapter 1. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Are you ever going to get in this body to the full understanding of what Paul prayed for us? Let's be honest. The answer is no. Paul himself said, I want to take hold of all of that which Christ took a hold of me. And if you're mature, you'll have the same attitude. I'm going to forget what's behind and I'm going to strain toward what's ahead. And too many of us as Christians spend too much time beating ourselves up over all the failures that we've done. Folks, the Bible shows us that God's using failures for his glory even. If he only could use perfect people, he couldn't use anybody for his purposes. But we need to daily renew our minds. Are there going to be days that we worry? Yes. Are there going to be days that we have fear? Definitely. Are there going to be days that we doubt? Yes. But you shouldn't stay there. And that's part of why we need each other in these days. Because there are going to be days that Jim Johnson is weak in faith. You could ask my wife and kids. I'm not always what you see here in the pulpit. I'm the same guy and I believe the same. But there are days that I worry. I thought about that this morning as I was recording more radio programs. And I've actually I recorded into November today because I've got to stay ahead because of my travels, and Elise is taking the the radio programs and turning them into the daily podcasts that are sent out, and if you don't get the written ones, see Elise on how to get them. She takes my five-minute radio program and turns it into our our daily bread devotional kind of a thing. Does a great job. She actually does a better job with my radio programs in the five minutes she writes on a piece of paper than than I do verbally. But (laughs) I thought about this. I thought about this today. I've got to Pump out radio programs six days a week. I've got to preach Bible studies. I am. I. I. I sent a text to Chris's wife, Allison, as we were talking about a speaking engagement that I've got at their church in in February of next year, and so they were wanting to know about my theme and my topic possibly for the marriage conference. And and I started, and I. I wrote back and said, to be honest, I haven't even thought about that yet because I looked at my calendar. I've got 30 different messages between now and Thanksgiving that are totally separate around the country that I've got to prepare for, and it and it was like it's overwhelming. You've got to stay on, almost, if you will, to be able to do this. But I'm not always on. I'm human. I worry. The same God that says, I got you and I'll never leave you. That truth doesn't always sink into me either. That's why we need each other. That's why we need each other. But at the same time, I love you too much to have you be okay with. I know I'm going to heaven. That's good enough. That's not what Jesus prayed. That's not what Paul prayed. That's not what God's word says. That we should be growing in our knowledge. Not getting more, but taking a hold of what is already ours. Do you understand the difference? A lot of you think, I just need another touch from God. No, you've already gotten everything you need. It's there. You take hold of it by faith. And so... I want to encourage you, or be used by God to encourage you in our study of First and 2 Thessalonians in the same way that Paul was writing to encourage, encourage the believers in Thessalonica. Go to Colossians 1. Maybe you don't believe me yet, so I'm going to just bomb you with a couple more verses. Go to Colossians 1. Look at verses 24 through 27. Colossians 1, 24 through 27. He says... Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you. He says, God gave me a job to help you understand the reality of what it means to have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. And then he says, we do this and I do this with God's power within me. Go to Colossians 2. Look at verses 6 through 15. Therefore, he says, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, let that sink in for a minute. Would you not agree that in Jesus, the full deity, the fullness of God dwelt bodily? Well, guess what you already have within you? The fullness of God in you, because Christ is in you. Don't fall prey to you need another encounter or you need to have. No, you've already received. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him so that we may partake of the divine promises. Therefore, since you've been saved and you've got all of God you're ever going to need and ever want, add to your faith, knowledge, self-control, goodness, so on, brotherly love. Folks, I want to encourage you. I'm not going to encourage you to hang on in these last days. I want to encourage you to get stronger. You have it within you. You have it within you. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then, some translations say since, which is fine. Since or if then you have been raised with Christ, because we saw in Colossians 2.6 that Ephesians 2.6, we're seated in the heavenly realms. Since you've been raised with Christ, sink the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, for not, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. How do we live in this power that's already ours? How do we really take hold of the fact that we are in God and the Lord Jesus Christ? We daily set our minds on things that are above. Now, do we just think about God? No. We read his word. Jesus prayed in John 17 just prior to those verses I read to you. He said this. He said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What empowers us to live in this boldness that we have? The word of God. Knowing the word of God, believing the word of God, and acting like it's true. That's where the power comes from. You take him at his word and you believe it and you act like it's true. Isn't that how you got saved? You heard the message of salvation. You believed that it was true. You asked him to do it. You walked out of there believing that it had, right? By faith, you were saved. How do we grow in Christ? Same way, by faith. You take what he says, you believe it, you act like it's true. You know, for years I've had, because I've been in this traveling ministry for 17 years, and I've had other traveling ministers say, Jim, how do you get gigs? And I'm like, I don't advertise, I don't call churches, I don't have a flyer, I don't have a glossy picture of me. That would probably hurt my ability to go get gigs, but <laughs> I believe that Jesus said that he's the, uh, I had a feeling that was going to come from Ray, but uh, he, uh, Jesus said that he's the one who opens the doors, and if he opens the door, no man can shut it, and if he shuts the door, no man can open it. So I believe that God's going to fill my schedule wherever he wants me to be. And if he doesn't want me there, I'd be stupid to try to get there. Because if he shuts the door, I ain't opening it. And even if he decides that he's going to open the door, even if man tries to shut it, it won't be shut. Where am I so bold? Why do I just trust that he's going to take care of us? Why do we not charge for anything? Why do we give everything away? Because he said that he would take care of us. He told us to be generous and to share and not worry to take care of ourselves, that he would do it. And you know what? I believe his word. Oh, I'm also growing in those areas because there's sometimes I doubt. There's sometimes I worry. But you know what? I'm gooder than I used to be in those areas because (laughs) I'm learning to trust him more. And that's what I want to encourage you with. Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know if you know this or not. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 1. It will, this truth that we're going to be looking at isn't just to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to us. And you're in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he ever going to take you out of him? No. we too often see ourselves as trying to live for God and staking, t- instead of taking hold of the God already in us. Jesus said what? Apart from me, you can do nothing. nothing. Isn't that interesting? It's funny. As I travel around, that's a verse just about every Christian can quote. And if I were to ask you to, qu- to quote with me Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you can. Let's do it. All right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Isn't that interesting? These are two verses that you all could quote just like that that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And, and, and in everything, I'm never to rest in my own wisdom, my own understanding. I'm in everything, bring it to God, and he'll show me. But is that how we live? Mm-mm. Why? Because We haven't learned how to, by faith, take hold of the divine promises. We've already gotten everything we need. Now we need to, just like we did for salvation, learn how to daily say, All right, Lord, your word says this. I'm holding you to it. And I'm going to act like it's true. And you know what? When that happens, you are filled with a peace that even passes understanding. Years ago, I've shared this story a long, long time ago when Becky and I were pregnant with Nicole. Actually, Becky was more pregnant with Nicole than me. But when we were pregnant and that was our first child, Becky, a little bit of ways along in the pregnancy, began to bleed. To the point that it got pretty bad and we had to go see the doctor and the doctor sent us to a specialist. And we went and sat with the specialist and I asked the doctor this question. I said, doctor, will my baby live? And he looked right at us and said, I don't know. But he then said, and this was such an awesome thing. He said, but I know who does know. And he grabbed our hands and this doctor prayed with us for the baby inside of Becky. And you know what? Her bleeding didn't stop that day. But we were filled with such a peace that Becky and I went and got ice cream. Went straight from the doctor's office. By by the way, back then, it was a Wendy's Frosty. That was all we could afford. But we got a Wendy's Frosty, and we actually had a peace. Why? Because we took our requests to God. We didn't have any answers that made us feel better. But we said, God, we're giving it to you. And he said, that's all I want you to do. And he replaced that worry and that fear with a peace. We didn't have peace because the doctor said it's going to be all right and she'll be fine and the bleeding will stop on such a day. We had peace because we gave it to God. And we set our minds there. And he's good and whatever happens is best and we trust him. Folks, that's what we need to learn how to take hold of. Now, there's a third thing here in verse 1. You were wondering if we were going to get all three in verse 1 done tonight, but we're going to. The third thing is this. He says, grace to you and peace. Now, again, many of us may just jump over that real quick because Paul says that all the time. I'm just going to give you just three. I could give you 17, but go to Romans 1. Go to Romans 1. Look at verse 7. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints... Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verses 2 and 3. To the church of God that is in Corinth and to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and our, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, I could go on and on. I think you get the idea. How come every time Paul writes to a church, he says grace and peace? You know why? Because that's what we need every single day. You need his grace every single day. But he only gives his grace to who? Those who trust him. Go to, go to James chapter 4. And look at verse 6. But he gives more grace... Therefore it says, no, it says it says, it means God's word says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. the humble. Folks, listen to me. The humble are those like Becky just said, who acknowledge that we need Him and we trust Him." Do you understand? You want God's grace? By the way, I hope your answer is yes. God's grace is, you need that for salvation. We need his mercy for salvation. We need God's grace, but we need God's grace every single day. His power is available within us. Can we just tap into it whenever we want? No, no. Yes and no. It's available to you 24-7, but he only releases that power that's within us when we, by faith and humility, say, God, I need you. God, uh, as Paul said in Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29, he said, to this end, he's talking about how he wants to present everyone mature in Christ. To this end, I toil and struggle with all his energy, which so powerfully works within me. He says, I'm working, but I'm not working in my own strength. But how many of us have fallen prey to that? Lord, I'm busting my fanny here. How come I don't feel like anything's happening? Lord, I'm working hard for you. And God says, uh, I oppose those people. I work against those who try to do for me in their own strength. I actually sit there and give you no power and say, good luck with that. But then I'll come to you later in love and say, how's that working out for you when you're burnt out, when you're weary, when you're exhausted, when you're ready to quit? It's in our nature of our flesh to fix it, to solve it, to deal with it ourselves. We've been taught that. God helps those who help themselves, even though the Bible says that's blasphemy. Because God only gives help to those who realize they're helpless. You think you can save yourself? Go right ahead. That's why God gave you the law. Go and try and keep it. When you get to that place when you say, I can't keep the law of God. I'm in trouble. Now I've all of a sudden read the law of God. And it says that anybody that is saved by the law had to have kept it perfectly and I've already broken it. Well, then you need help, don't you? Yes, I do. Well, I got good news for you. Once you realize you need help, I got good news. There's only one who's ever lived the perfect life, and that's Jesus. Because God himself took on human form, lived in a body just like yours and mine without sin, and God punished him instead of you and I. And he rose from the dead by his own power to show that he's the one who has control of life and death and spiritual life and death. And if you will humble yourself and say, God, I need you to give me this righteousness. I'll never get to heaven on my own. Those are the ones he saves. But listen, you're not done needing the grace of God after you're saved. No matter what your church pastor told you. No matter how many of us were taught to go to work for Jesus. No, he doesn't need you. He wants you just to trust him. All right, Lord, I'll go to work for you, but as long as you let me decide where I go, no, you're going to get no grace. Lord, I'm going to trust you, but you got till Tuesday (laughs) to come up with my answer. You get no grace. He gives grace to the humble. And daily, I think Romans 12, 1 and 2 says we're to lay our bodies as living sacrifices on the altar. And say, Lord, you got a plan for today. i got one too, but let's go with yours. What do you want me to do? Oh, by the way, I think we just quoted in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he will direct your path. You're wanting, though, to him give you the whole plan for the rest of the day. It's not how it works. He's going to say, walk with me. And at the end of the day, you're going to look back and see all the places I led you. You're not going to always know tomorrow. By the way, he doesn't give grace for tomorrow. He'll only give you grace for today. Oh, you'll get grace tomorrow, but not until tomorrow. But what do we also need? And boy, I know we need it now more than anything. We don't just need grace. We need what? Peace. Well, we know that by faith in God through Jesus Christ, we're at peace with God. Romans 5 tells us that. We're already at peace with God. But we still, even though we're at peace with God... Anybody here feel peaceful all the time? Me neither. Boy, I sure would like to feel a little bit more peaceful, though, than I do. You know what we need? We need grace. We need peace. Go back to John 14. Remember in verse 18, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. And in that day, you're going to realize that I'm in you and you're in me and I'm in the Father. And you're just swimming in God. You've been baptized in the Spirit. Well, listen to what he says in John 14, verses 25 and 26. And don't miss this. We're going to wrap up with this tonight. He says, these things that I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, why would Jesus, almost immediately upon teaching about the Holy Spirit coming to within, live within us and be with us forever, start saying, oh, and don't be afraid and don't be troubled? Why would he say that? Because he knows us, and that's actually what's going to happen. The enemy's going to come, and he now can't touch us salvation-wise. So what's he going to do now? He's going to try to make us weak and ineffective and timid and fearful. And he can't stop where we're going. But he can try to stop us being usable for others going there. Well, I don't want Satan to win. And so I am learning to daily say, God, I need your grace. And I need your peace. And he says, I promised my peace, but you got to give me what? Your anxiousness. You've got to give me your worries. you have got to give me your fears. And I'll give you peace. I won't always give you understanding. But I'll give you peace. By the way, she's 30-something years old now and about to be married. I know you're only 29, but you're just old in my mind now. That girl that we weren't sure we were going to have is about to get married. And maybe pump out her own babies. I don't know. Hi, Gil. Gil's watching from Maryland. And I just put him under pressure that we want grandkids. Here's the thing. Daily... We need him, not just for salvation, but to live this life. And we need each other to encourage each other to keep our eyes on him. That's what we're going to be doing in our study of 1 Thessalonians. And I promise to cover more than one verse next week. I love you. Thanks for coming.